Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So in, in the absence of much iOS news this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Mac. As I mentioned before, I've been getting slowly into with a couple of small utility apps. Um, the first one being Quitter, which I launched, I don't know, a month ago, something like that. And now I'm working on a uh, basic podcast uh, post-production tool. I wanted to talk a little bit about the considerations behind selling this Mac app potentially in the near future, um, you know, both releasing it to the public, polishing it up, and then whether to charge money for it. Do I sell it in the Mac App Store versus non-Mac App Store? Do I worry about piracy? Stuff like that. The first concern I had is, do I want to release this app to the public at all? When you're in the middle of building an app and you're like, oh, this is kind of fun, you might think, you know, oh, it's right now I, I've gotten it to a point where I can use it and it's kind of done for a while. And then you might use it for a while. You might share it with a couple of, couple of friends or something like that. And you might think, oh, okay, you know, I should release this. This is useful. The, the difference between like the point you're at at that, at that moment where like you have the app working for you and maybe a couple other people versus something that is releasable, that's a very, very wide gap. And I, I learned this when I did Quitter, uh, where I had like this basic Apple script first, and then I had this basic menu bar app. And I thought, you know, other people might find this useful. I should release this. And <laughs> to get from that point to releasable in, in a responsible and, and pleasant and likely to succeed way was so much work. Because what you don't realize when when you when you have the initial app, you don't realize that uh, there are like all the edge cases that you're not considering because uh, like you don't use them yourself. Edge cases, you know, we had a whole show on edge cases. <laughs> there's there's uh, all the edge cases you're not considering, and the standards for what is good enough are way lower when it's just you or your friends using an app. Like what's good enough with the UI? What's good enough with input handling with edge case handling in general you just need far less polish and then other stuff like that you, that you don't even think of at first but that is actually that could be a lot of work or or expense or just a hassle is you know a private app for yourself doesn't need a public name it doesn't need a decent icon it doesn't need documentation uh you don't need to worry about distribution it doesn't need a website it doesn't need like an auto updater feed stuff like that and once you have it working for yourself, it basically doesn't need any maintenance because you know all the limitations, you avoid them yourself, and it just it works for you and you consider it done. If you release it to the public, you have to go through this massive polishing stage. It seems like, oh, I, you know, this weekend I'll polish it up and get it out there. In practice, it usually takes a lot of time like you don't you typically underestimate that time it's it's not easy or fast and once the app goes public people will have expectations for it they will start emailing you feature requests they will um, expect improvements to all the bugs that you didn't find because you didn't hit any of the any of the edge cases and what started out as a as a simple idea of oh you know i've, I've made this app for myself maybe i'll release it that can quickly balloon into a much larger uh, project like what happened with Quitter, like there was a lot of temptation that like, you know, Quitter as it is right now works fine for me, uh, but there was immediate temptation once I released it and started getting all these people saying, you know, oh man, this is great. It'd be even better if it did this or it, man, you could really make this into a bigger thing by by adding this. And it quickly became very tempting to take this, what you what was this very basic little utility app and to try to make it its own bigger product. But then, of course, like, do I have time 
for that bigger product? Do I want to even be in that business? Like, you know, I'd start competing with a, with a whole other market of products that, frankly, I don't know anything about. Uh, I don't know what it's like to compete in that market. You know, do I really want to be doing that? Like, it, it's a whole different ball game. Can I spare the time from my other projects that I want to be doing to turn this thing into a bigger thing that, that all the people are asking for that might be tempting, you know? It's a very hard balance to find, and it can so easily get totally out of control before you even step back and realize, wait a minute, do I even want to be doing this as a big app? Or do I, do I want to just keep it as this little thing that I spend you know, a few days on once and then never touch again? This is a lesson that I've had to learn many, many times. I have, I have the tendency to build anything I can think of. And several times I've built something and put it out into the it's like I get it to that point where you're talking about where it's like it's sort of done, it's useful enough, it's kind of at that cross that functional threshold, maybe you'd say. Right. Done is in the biggest quotation marks ever. Yeah, it's it, it's like it's sort of functional, maybe is a better word than done. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll release this, maybe I'll put this out in the store, maybe I'll like it's maybe other people would find it useful. But the thing that I find all that. I now have maybe, it might be a bit strong to call it the wisdom, but um, I've been caught up with it enough times to know that there's a difference in the way you approach building something. If you're building it as a product versus if you're building it just as like on a lark, just a little hobby project, a little experimentation, a little prototype, something like that. You have to be more thoughtful. You have to think about how it's going to be used and what even even answering questions for you know what is a typical user going to be and optimizing it for them and sometimes it's great if you are the typical user i suppose but if you're not then you know it, it gets starts to get really squishy and tricky to make sure that you're actually building a product that other people would know how to use and you know i have many utilities and things that um, I've never released, but I use myself, or at least what often, or perhaps moreover, what will happen is I'll build something, use it for myself for a long time, and then take like the the lesson learned from using it and turn it into an act, you know, fold it into a product. But the actual product part is going to be very different, like necessarily, and so it's definitely a tricky thing to look at something and say, do I actually want this to exist outside of my own use or at least, you know, my, my close friends or family, you know, like there's a couple of apps or tools that I use that, you know, like I put, I, that are only, only exist on my wife and my's phone and that's fine. Like they don't have to be products. They can just be things. Honestly, what is that number? I'm curious. It's probably a lot. It's only it's probably a handful. <laughs> well, I mean, most people that number is zero. So like, sure, it's it's greater than zero. Um, and a lot of these things, like I said, are, are it's the it's fighting the temptation to anytime you have an idea to rush it out to market versus trying to use it yourself for a while and seeing if it actually is something. So a lot of times when I these these things will ultimately end up being a product that or will be a part of a bigger product. But they start life as just things to keep close because I used to rush things out. I mean, that's part of why I ended up with the problem of having dozens and dozens of apps in the app store because anytime I had an idea, I'd build it, I'd put it out. And in, to start with, I had the mindset of, well, if I, like, I, you never know what's going to be a hit, maybe I should just always push things out and let the market tell me if it's useful or cool. The, re the problem with that is like, what if the market tells me that what I'm doing is like useful and cool, but in a way different, very different way or um, 
with a very different slant than I want to actually use or build a product for, then I'm kind of like stuck into that. And also, I guess there's a really weird thing of like, is it reasonable to put something out that I don't have expectations to support, for example, or like what level of support do I expect to provide for something? You know, is this just, if it's just something I built on a lark and put in, put out into the world, it's, you know, you, there's always, especially if you put it into like an, you know, into the app store or something like that, then there's a certain expectation I think that people naturally have for what they should get from that. And so it definitely makes sense for as you're going through this process of, you know, do I want this thing that I find useful to actually exist in the world to make sure you have a good answer to that, that do I want to support this? Do I want to chase down the various bugs and issues that people are having? Are people going to use this in a professional context, for example, where if there's a problem, there's potentially financial implications or more serious things that could go wrong, you know, in Quitter, if it doesn't quit Twitter for somebody, that's probably not a big deal. But if it, if you're doing an app that could have a bigger implication, if it goes wrong, like there's some weird, more like liability type of questions that you have to be comfortable with before uh, you'd move forward into an act into, in, into, you know, a broader distribution. Exactly. And, and all of those, uh, you know, all the problems of, are you willing to support this and are you ready to support it? Uh, all of those things really do apply, whether it's free or paid. Uh, although I will say, though, whether you charge money at all makes a big difference in the type of expectations and entitlement that your customers will feel to things like, you know, quality. Like if somebody pays for an app, they're certainly going to expect, you know, it better be good, you know, it better work and have good features. It also better not crash or have bugs that they can notice. Uh, you know, they expect you to support it ongoing, you know, with updates, with maintenance. And also, as you mentioned, support, you know, if people paid for an app, even if they only paid a dollar, they expect a certain level of support. I mean, heck, people expect support for free apps, uh, but they, they expect a lot more for paid apps. It's not proportional to the different, like, you know, they don't, if they paid a dollar versus paying nothing, they don't expect like a dollar more support. They expect a lot more support. Psychologically, they, people are very uh, protective of having spent money on something and they really get angry if it doesn't match to, to their expectations if they paid even just $1 for it. And the good thing is, you know, on the Mac, you can charge more, but charging more brings on even higher expectations. So, you know, if you if you are what I would consider like a cheap app. So on iOS, this would probably be like less than $3 maybe. On the Mac, I'd say under $10 probably. Uh, that is like one level of expect of expectations of, you know, quality, update, support. Um, if you charge, you know, what I would call real money, and and that the, the perception of what real money is will vary by your market. But, you know, I'd say on iOS, maybe $10. On the Mac, maybe $50. Uh, if you're charging that, you know, that kind of like what people think of as real money, you will be held to much higher expectations. Uh, like, you know, if if people just paid you $10 for your iOS app and it doesn't work on the phone they buy next month, they're going to be mad. Like they're going to be really, and understandably so, because they pay what they believe is a premium price and you better be supporting that. If they spend $50 on your Mac app and they email you with a question and you don't answer that email, that's that's going to look really bad for you in their eyes, and they're going to get very angry about that. And so you have to really consider all this. And then and you know this goes back to trying to estimate your market, as we talked about with, in the ideas episode, uh, trying to estimate your market of like 
it, given all of these all of the overhead of making a paid app and selling a a paid app am i likely to actually get enough copies sold to make enough money from this that it will be worth all that overhead in in my business and in my life and is that really worth it or not and it, it might be easy to rationalize oh you know i made this app it's kind of useful i should charge you know 10 bucks for it or whatever or on ios i should charge two bucks for it or whatever by the way that multiple makes me sad but that's the reality but anyway so you know there there's a temptation oh you know I, I could charge a few bucks for it and make a little bit of money but the reality is making that money charging that price will have costs to you and you need to make sure that you are being realistic about your expectations of like how many copies am I really going to sell and is that going to be worth making that you know few hundred dollars that I make from this or whatever it might be. And if you end up with saying that it's not, like then you have the weird question of like, well, if I make it free, then why am I even releasing it? Like, <laughs> like, like, like fair enough, there's a certain like altruism or like, you know, being or maybe like exposure or marketing angles that you could... Yeah, like long-term reputation marketing kind of things. Yeah, or like those types of... Or like bigger, you know, and broader sort of play. I mean, sort of in the way that Overcast is a free app um, with in-app purchases in it to support its development. But, it, you know, you've said many times that you made it free to try and, you know, establish it as a big player in the in the space because you had other motivations for that, that you wanted the platform to you know, stay competitive and open. And so that can be worthwhile, even though it's not financially, the, the directly of the financial incentive is there. But like, there is a weird thing or you'll end up with people who will be like, well, then why don't you just open source it? It's like, well, then you kind of have two problems. Like you have, like you have the source code and developer problem as well as the, the customer facing problem. Um, and you have to manage and deal with those types of things that it gets really complicated to a point that you have to decide like why am i doing this and you have to have a good answer like a good concise answer for like why would i want this to exist in the world and if you have a good answer awesome if you don't maybe it's not worth doing our sponsor this week is pingdom start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash radar you get a 14-day free trial and if you use code radar at checkout you get 20 percent off your first invoice pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site by offering powerful and easy to use monitoring tools and services if you're a pingdom user monitoring the availability and performance of your server database or website is a breeze they use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site checking its availability as often as every minute so you can check all sorts of things you can check the whole site you can check certain parts of it things like e-commerce checkouts contact forms logins search uh, and they make it possible to monitor all of these things with performance metrics with uptime reports and all sorts of customization of how you can customize the requests and what kind of things they're looking for what kind of requirements if you need to require certain strings in the page it is incredibly useful and pingdom detects tons of outages for their customers more than 400,000 a day you probably need pingdom in your life if you run any kind of service or website so regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing like a big infrastructure it is very important to monitor its performance all pingdom needs is the url that, that you want to monitor and they take care of the rest when they detect an outage you're alerted in lots of customizable ways but more importantly you're alerted quickly so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you and your customers any further you don't want to be caught out when somebody wants to access your site and all of a sudden it's down and you don't want to be hearing from people on twitter saying it's down you need to know that first so you can fix it before too many of your customers see it so you need pingdom check it out today and you will be the first to know 
know if your site is down. Go to pingdom.com slash radar. That's pingdom.com slash radar for a 14-day free trial. Use code radar to get 20% off at checkout. David and I are both Pingdom customers. I've been using them now for something like eight years, and I love them. They're great. Thank you very much to Pingdom for sponsoring our show. All right, so assuming that you have decided that you want to release your app and that you want to charge money for it, and, and that it's a Mac app. So, you know, iOS, that's a whole other ballgame. We'll talk about that in other shows. Suppose you want to charge money for a Mac app. How do you do that, and where do you do that? The most obvious uh, first choice is the Mac App Store. Uh, the Mac App Store, though, you know, as as we know by now, uh, the Mac App Store is a mixed bag. You know, like, like the iOS App Store, um, it builds a big wall between you and your customers. And this has some benefits and some downsides. The obvious benefits are that you don't need to deal with things like basic distribution of versions, updates, um, and the big thing, you don't have to deal with payment. Uh, and those are those are all substantial gains that you don't have to deal with because those are all complicated to different degrees. I think payment being probably the most complicated. Not having to deal with that is is a huge win. Uh, it also kind of acts as a support wall between you and your customers. Like your customers might not contact you directly. They might like go to the Mac App Store for that contact thing, or they might just blame Apple or blame the App Store or whatever else if people have problems. And that's yeah, probably. It's probably a good thing in the immediate term if you don't think about it too much, but in the long term, it's probably a bad thing. Um, buying from the store, though, a lot of people prefer it. Uh, it reduces uh, issues around things like trust. You know, if, if people don't really trust you or you don't seem legitimate or large, they might have trouble giving you money, whereas they tend to not have those problems in the app stores. Um, and of course, it's easier for people to install stuff from the app store usually when it works um they don't have to fish out their license key or anything like that so like many customers do prefer buying from the app store and that is not to be underestimated uh, but for those benefits with the mac app store you pay major costs uh it is incredibly inflexible on pricing models distribution updates stuff like that you know there's no trials no paid upgrades um there's a lot of rules uh you also have to go through app review to enforce a lot of these rules and you have to be sandboxed and these are all pretty major restrictions for a lot of mac app businesses Um, a lot of apps just can't be sold through the app store for some of those requirements and a lot of them maybe could be but it would be unwise for them to be sold through the store and it would be bad business for them um the the biggest thing to me is is well the two biggest things to me you you definitely have less access and knowledge about your customers um, so you, it's harder to do things like build an email uh, list for you know new releases and stuff like that, and it's harder to like offer certain people discounts, things like that. And mostly to me, they take a thirty percent cut, and thirty percent is a lot. Like it's it's easy if, if we're you know for those of us who are, who are accustomed to iOS, it's easy to forget or to or to not really ever think through like how much is thirty percent exactly. So. Just to give you an example of how much 30% is in practice, uh, suppose you make, suppose you have a really good app. It makes $50,000. Well, you made $50,000. What did the app actually make? <laughs> so if you got $50,000 from Apple, the app made about $71,000. So you got 50 and Apple got about 21000 So Apple got almost half of what you got. Um, if you sell outside of an app store, which you can't do in iOS really, but if you do it on the Mac, um, that 30% cut that is taken by your payment processor goes down to maybe, you know, three to 6%, depending on how you're doing it, uh, depending on international support, payment provider, stuff like that. But it's, it goes down, you know, almost an order of magnitude from, from Apple's cut. Um, so in that example, just to give you some numbers, 
for your app that you made $50,000 from in the App Store, you would have made about $66,000 from FastSpring or $69,000 from Stripe. So these are not small differences. 30% is a lot. And if, you know, if Apple brings that 15% cut to a lot more places, that will help a lot. 15% is also a lot, but it's way more competitive than 30 compared to selling it yourself. Um, so the App Store really is you you really you get a lot of benefits for it but you do pay dearly for those benefits in a lot of different ways and um for a lot of people it's just not worth it sure and it, the app store too is this like it, it's, it's a weird thing to have the choice in some ways coming from an ios background where like i just because i have no choice in the matter like if i want to make ios software and give it to someone else beyond unless i'm within a big company and i do an enterprise distribution thing like the only option is the ios app store so like whatever like i can lobby and encourage apple to change policies or to make things happen but by and large it's their store their rules i do the best i can but because you have the choice on the mac app store you really start to see that like the, the the hurdles and the challenges that that situation like creates oh yeah i mean like you know the app store it's always kind of been like this carrot and stick balance um on ios they don't really need to offer much carrot because the stick is so big like on ios you have to use the app store period like there's no you there i mean yes i guess like sadia exists or sadia however it's pronounced but that's you know not really easy to build businesses there you know you're basically stuck with the app store or nothing on ios on the mac you know and even apple like they used they used to tie major features to the app store like like icloud and and, and they just announced wbc this year that these features are coming to other apps you don't have to be in the app store anymore so it seems like on the mac apple has recently kind of shifted away from keeping much of a stick around there so now they're relying only on the carrot of like you know what are the benefits of being in the mac app store so now you kind of look at it purely on business terms and i don't think the mac app store is a very appealing place for for new businesses to go these days um even the the promotional value i think has proven to be fairly minimal um in, in actual installation numbers from featured apps so it's unfortunate because it would have been nice if it, if it worked better, but it, it it does seem like it has both failed in a way that it's most likely to be neglected forever and uh, and that most developers shouldn't go there anymore. Sure, because I think the thing that I think of when like, why why would I use the Mac App Store? Like if, it, if I, since I now have this choice, like I can decide if I want to go this, like A or B or both, like which obviously you can also do. You can uh, sell in both places but say i'm going i'm going to be uh, in the app store like in my mind the main reason on the mac app store that i would want to be there and this is speaking mostly just as a customer for like why do i when do i launch the app store app on my mac is usually it's like if i have a very specific utility or tool in mind i will go and search in the mac app store first and I do that mostly just because I have it's, anyway, it has that sense of being curated that somebody else, a like a impartial, you know, to some definition of impartial third party has looked at this application and said it meets a basic set of criteria. Don't worry, it's not going. You know, you're not installing malware. You're not installing um, sort of something that doesn't actually do what it says. It's has this basic level of criteria. So if I can find a tool, you know, I'm just trying to do something, do some random operation that I need a utility for, I'll go to the Mac App Store. And if I find it, great, I'll get it from there. If not, you know, then I just go to Google, search around in there, and find it that way. And so the main benefit from being in the Mac App Store, from my perspective, based on my own experience, 
is just as a marketing tool, just as being in the place that, um, you know, there's a non insignificant number of people who may go there and look. And so it's like being on that shelf is useful. But if you're trying to build a business that, you know, you're making your living from something, Mac App Store on its own is unlikely to be the right answer. My guess is you're going to want to be at least in both. If not, go your go your own. And because once you've gone down the road of doing it your own, you can start to realize a lot of benefits and both in terms of like you were saying, in terms of the costs and the money you can make, as well as just having so much more flexibility about how, how things work. You're never, you're never stuck in the situation of like, Oh, I need to get this, you know, this update, this bug fix update through app review, even though app review is great and down to like, you know, a day or so now it's still a day is still longer than, you know, one minute from now it'll be available on my CDN. And that's kind of nice. Oh yeah. And, and just the flexibility you get of doing it yourself. I mean, you know, the downside is, you have to build it yourself. And and there are different degrees of building it yourself. Like if you use something like FastSpring or uh, Digital River, formerly Accelerate or Kagi, like the these things they they charge, you know, a little bit more percentage, like a few more percentage points than like direct credit card processing from Stripe or somebody like that. But they take care of a lot of the just payment complexity for you. And you basically just provide serial numbers. And you will have some support costs from these things. You'll have some issues, but probably fewer, you know, from developers I've talked to, there's probably fewer of those than from from most places. And so it, it seems like a very good balance to use a service like this versus like Mac App Store or totally doing it yourself because you only pay a little bit more and, and, and you know, than doing it yourself and you get a lot. So that's probably what I'm going to try first, you know, something maybe I was looking at FastSpring earlier, probably them. And then, you know, because you can always change later with these things. Like with, it's, it's very, it's harder to move in or out of the Mac App Store if you change your mind later or if you need to change later. But these kind of services, it's pretty easy to move between. So the, the costs of trying one out are pretty low. So I want to talk briefly about piracy concerns. Because this is something like, you don't really have to think about an iOS much because an iOS, like, I mean, there is iOS piracy, certainly. But it's limited almost completely to the jailbreak community. And, and you don't really, it's kind of like a losing battle. Like, you can't really fight the jailbreak community on piracy. So you, you're usually better off not even trying. Um, and that is largely true of Mac piracy as well, but not completely. Uh, on the Mac, you know, with with people using the Mac, like you don't have to be like a special class of user the way, like you know, you have to, like you kind of have to like devote a lifestyle to be a jailbreaker. But like on the Mac, you can pirate Mac apps if you really want to, and a lot of people do, and it's it's easier to do it, and and so you do have to worry about that as, as a Mac software author of you have to worry about piracy and, and how this will affect your app, how it will affect your customers. And generally I, I've talked to a lot of developers about this recently, trying to figure out what I need to do here. And the <laughs> number one is stay out of the Mac app store because Mac app store piracy is rampant because they all use the same wrapper that everyone has cracked a million times. And you kind of can't do much about it uh, as a Mac app store app. Also Mac app store, even without piracy, the Mac app store license, allows for the same Apple ID to install your app on like hundreds of Macs. So that's a big problem if you have a business app uh, where like a whole office full of computers might have your app installed off of one purchase, uh, which is not great. So generally with piracy, like a little goes a long way. You need to do some piracy prevention. You need to have some kind of like license or serial number checking or something like that. Um, Just to prevent casual piracy, you need to put up some kind of barrier to make paying you easier for most people 
than pirating the app. To a large extent, your app will be pirated anyway. And, you know, you can do things like you can scan the internet occasionally trying to, like, look for pirated serial numbers of your own app and then ban them in a future build of your app. This is all examples of, like, low-hanging fruit. Like, a little goes a long way here. You should have some kind of piracy avoidance mechanism in your app. Uh, and this is something you have to worry about with direct distribution. But, you know, it, it, that's just a cost of doing business. And that's that's part of, you know, I think it's part of, uh, you know, just the reality of, of a software business on, on a computer these days. You know, it's less so on mobile, but on a computer, that's that's still part of why you get paid the big bucks, <laughs> I guess. Um, and, you know, you have to always balance versus legitimate customers versus hurting them, you know, with every, any kind of piracy prevention system you pick. But um, generally, you know, in summary, I don't know much about this yet, but it does seem like the common wisdom among people is a little goes a long way. You need to do something, but you don't need to, you don't need to go crazy with it. Sure. And I think that's probably the best path is, it's a, you know, build, build, build something yourself, do something basic, and then just don't worry about it. Exactly. All right. Well, we're out of time this week. Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody. I know this is officially an iOS show, but we will occasionally talk about the Mac because it's related. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.